Matthew chapter 19. Now you remember, before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, you remember uh, at our last teaching that Jesus uh, um, taught on forgiveness in Matthew 18 and restoring your brother. And we went through 1 Timothy 5 and we saw how uh, God really seeks his forgiveness. And he talked about the man that owed the unbelievable debt of what, $20 billion and, and was forgiven and wouldn't forgive another guy, you know, a few thousand dollars. And then that's when the master called him wicked. And we, we talk about how much we've been forgiven for and how God wants us to restore relationships. The Bible begins by saying, in the beginning, God created, and then goes on to say, let us make man in our own image. And this idea of us is plural in the Hebrew because it's already speaking of the Trinity because the Godhead is a relationship and God wants people to be in relationship. He wants us to be in relationship. We're not islands unto ourselves. He wants us to invest in each other's lives. He wants us to connect with one another. He wants honesty and intimacy and truthfulness. And this is, this is the heart of the Lord. And so Genesis lays all of this out. He goes from Matthew 18, which is restoration of relationships. And then it says in the passage that he departs from there after the finishing of those sayings. And he comes to Galilee in the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And there it says, great multitudes followed him and he healed them. So he's doing this amazing healing work. And then all of a sudden the Pharisees come up in the midst of this amazing work. And we're going to see what happens. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'll pick up at verse one of 19. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. Now the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And this is out of Genesis 2. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And they're arguing over two schools of rabbinical thought, Hillel and Shimei. And we'll cover that momentarily. This was the, the mindset of the day. Jesus knows what they're dealing with and he'll address it. Verse eight, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, <laughs> if this is such the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry I, I think that's how they said it. <laughs> but Jesus said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs. And, and now this is an adult class. And if you've chosen to have your children in, I'm going to cover some topics. So I just want to give you five seconds to get them out. <laughs> a eunuch uh, can be spiritual. A eunuch can be physical meaning that um, certain kings, if they wanted their harems protected, they would put guards over them, but they would castrate the males so as not to worry about their harem, right? 
And, uh, and then a spiritual eunuch would be one that would abstain from sex for the purpose of, of just pursuing the Lord. And then there are those that just really have no desire uh, for an expression of intimacy through a, a sexual union. And, and it, it exists, and it, and, and it is said by God to be a gift. Um, and so he says, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to accept it. Let him accept it. Now, while you're standing, I'm going to read this, and don't get exhausted, because I have to stand the whole time. This is out of uh, Genesis chapter 2. Um, the Lord God said in verse 18, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmate or a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whenever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper or helpmate comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs. We're not sure in the Hebrew exactly what that means. We're assuming in English it's rib. I'll explain that momentarily. And he closed up the flesh in its place so that the man wouldn't bleed to death. I added that. Then the, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, because he got to name all of them, so now he gets to name her. He says, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And I'm going to call her woman because she was taken out of man. And the Hebrew idiom, uh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, the Hebrew idiom best defined as. <laughs> so that, that's basically the Hebrew understanding of that passage. And then it goes on to say, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked and the man and his wife were not ashamed. The idea of naked, not ashamed means that they had nothing to hide from each other. There was complete intimacy, honesty, spiritual, emotional, physical intimacy, very clear to the Lord. And so let's pray and then we'll study the passage. God, thank you for today. And yes, Lord, there are passages that I struggle with, but by your grace, you are so good to lead us into all truth. And Lord, what a topic for today. And I pray, God, that you would encourage the congregation and bless each individual as we've all been affected by divorce. But yet, Lord, your word is so wonderful and it's alive and you have so much to say to us that will encourage and strengthen us. And so, Lord, we avail ourselves and we ask that you'd bless us today. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat, please. You can stand if you'd like. I'm... In this uh, passage of Scripture, after Jesus teaches about this whole idea of, of forgiveness and restoring relationship and winning your brother and, and, and establishing all these things and then leaves this region and then goes uh, Judea beyond the Jordan and this great multitude follows him and he's performing miracles. And, and that in and of itself is remarkable. And the Pharisees just overlook what's taking place and all the magnificence of what is happening with Jesus in this ministry. And their whole goal is they want to trip him up. They want to get him into, they, they want to test him and they want to try to discredit him in front of this multitude. And so they decide to go into this whole deal with divorce because like our culture and their culture and every culture in the history of the world, 
uh, this idea of a union, and, and it doesn't matter if it's Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, uh, agnostic, Hindu, animist, uh, every culture in the world has always recognized some sort of a ceremony of two people committing their lives to one another. And, and they also have experienced this commitment being broken. And everyone's heart in the room at one point or another has been broken. And relationships have been severed. And, and this idea of, of a man and a woman coming together in a lifelong commitment and then that being severed and broken is, is apparent that it's, it's very present in their culture. And as I said earlier, there were two schools of thought. Hillel was one of them. Shimei was another. And they were discussing it. And they took it out of uh, Levitical law and also out of Deuteronomy, uh, what Moses had said. And they were basically interpreting it that a man could give his wife a certificate of divorce for any reason. If she burned the toast, uh, I'm divorcing you. Uh, You forgot to wear your head covering. I'm divorcing you. Um, I found somebody who's more attractive. I'm divorcing you. Uh, You didn't brush your teeth this morning. I'm divorcing you. Uh, And and that was one school of thought. And then on the other side, uh, uh, there was another school of thought that was, no, only an infidelity only in immorality is this permitted. And so they're contending and they want to see where Jesus falls in relation to these two rabbinical uh, schools of thought as everyone is contending with it. And as a pastor, and most of the pastors on staff can testify this, and the pastors in the community, that's a question we get all the time. Am I still within the will of God if I divorce? Can I divorce my spouse for, for the fact that they're, they're observing pornography? Can I divorce my spouse because of verbal abuse? Can I divorce my spouse because of, or how about because of, or how about because of? And, and I, I, I get that question all the time. The question I don't get as much, which I wish I did, was how do I make my marriage stronger? How, how, do, I, how do I become a better spouse? How do I how do I turn my phone off so that I? That, and I'm, <laughs> you, well, the way you do it is you press the button, and, <laughs> and so in this in, in this this picture, they're trying to trip him up and see where he where he falls in relation to the argument of the day. And I looked at that and I thought, oh man. And there isn't a person in the room who hasn't been affected by divorce. There just isn't. I mean, we're a culture that, and I'll show you some slides in a moment. Uh, We've all been affected by divorce in some way, shape, or form. And there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some folks present have been married many times, divorced many times. Um, uh, We have folks that are on the elder board that have have been divorced and remarried. Um, And and you look at that, wow, that's, that's heavy and... And how do you process through that? And, and it's important that we understand what God has to say about these things. Now, I want to read you a couple of passages of Scripture, and then we'll continue in the study of Matthew 19. But this is the Apostle Paul speaking on, on divorce and marriage. In 1 Corinthians 7, he says, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. That means sexual affection. So it says, uh, let each woman, or uh, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And then it says, and likewise also the wife to her husband. So when, is, when, do, you, when do you give sex in marriage whenever it's asked for? I just thought I'd add that. Um, there's more to it and we'll cover that in greater detail another time. The wife, it says in verse 4, does not have authority over her own body, 
but the husband does because you're giving your life away and you say, I'm, I'm giving you my life and in, and, and in kind, I give you my, my life. So uh, really what, when you're engaging, if, if you say, you know, uh, hey, let's, let's get together tonight and you say, well, I don't feel well. Well, your body is not your own. You've given it away. And so the husband would say to his wife, if she says that, well, then you've given me your body you've given me your life. And so if this is your concern, then I honor that. And vice versa, you're looking out for the interests of the other. Do you understand that? It's a mutual submission and a laying down. It's not like, I want this now, let's do this. I have the right. I'm the man. I call the shots. Let's... It doesn't work that way. You're serving one another. It's a willing submission. Men think, well, you know, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Woman, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. That's not... (laughs) how it works. The the submission, she is submitted willingly, willingly. Bible says that the the wife is to honor the husband. And and, and the the interesting thing about that, with the honor, a man rises to to be in in many cases that that person that you've you've always seen him to be, and that honor uh, assists in that purpose. But we also know, too, that it, it gets screwed up. I mean, some of the stories, folks, I've been doing 25 years of ministry. There, there's some heartache out there. There's, there's, there's some really just struggling lives. And, and you know, I, 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 I think of my in-laws. Um, my mother-in-law is an amazing wife. My father-in-law is, is a, a wonderful husband. They're both great parents. Both have been married and divorced. Now, does that mean that they're, they're in adultery? No. No, I'll cover that momentarily. Does that mean that they have to divorce each other and go back to their original spouses? Gosh, I hope not. That would be awful. Does that mean that anyone who's been divorced and remarried is committing adultery? Does that mean that um, um, uh, adultery or divorce is the unpardonable sin? No, 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 and a thousand times no. I'll cover that momentarily. And then it says in verse 5, do not deprive one another uh, except with consent for time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. So you, you don't use the marriage bed as a place to argue. If you want to deprive each other of, of intimacy, you do it for the sake of fasting and prayer. I mean, if you're having an argument, say, why don't we just, hold on, let's just, let's just go and ask the Lord to resolve this so that we can have this expression together. I do want to connect with you. I just am struggling right now. There's some things that don't make sense. I'm going to pray about that. That's okay. You don't deprive each other except for a time to give yourself to fasting and prayer. Come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The great drive of a human being is a sexual drive for procreation. We have this drive. And Paul says, I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Now, the apostle Paul had to have been married because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was also a Pharisee. He had to have been married. Now, we don't know if his wife died. He never speaks of being a widower. But there's a chance because of 1 Corinthians 7 that his wife just bailed on him. When he, when he, was, he was scheduled to be the, the, the grand poobah of the temple itself, and he was being trained, and he was set to be the guy in all of Israel. And when he embraces Christianity, 
Uh, he is a penny looking for change. And his wife just said, I didn't sign up for this. I was going to be the pinnacle in the community. And now you've gone and done this. And you're, you're in prison everywhere. And you're being kicked through the streets like a soccer ball. And you're talking about this Messiah. And you're wacko. And I don't want anything to do with you. And she leaves. And, and so Paul addresses this. I'm a, and that's an assumption because we don't know the answer to that. We just do know that he had to have been married. And we also know that he was single and he remained single through the course of his ministry. And when he said, I wish all men were like me, he's saying that I, I am remaining single for the sake of the ministry itself. Now, I just traveled to Uganda Friday to Wednesday. I am a really good traveler. I know what to pack. I know what to do. I know how simple it is. I know where I'm going. I, 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 I move quickly. I've got simple things. When I travel with my wife, everything slows down. And, and, you know, she, she, I'm, could you get that? And I, I'm going to need one. Of the, and I'm feeling a little cold and maybe it, and I, it's too dark and I'm going to need the, and could you, and, the, and, and when I first started to travel, I was getting irritated. I'm, uh, look, I'm just bearing my soul. Okay. <laughs> and I get irritated and I get frustrated and she go, why are you upset? And I go, I don't have to deal with this when I'm traveling by my, I, nothing. <laughs> and I remember the Lord spoke to my heart. And I, I, I think I've gotten better. I believe I have. I know I have. I'm really good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Lord said, why, why are you so uptight? I said, well, because, Lord, I've got stuff to do, and she's with me, and she's slowing it all down, and there's all these needs, and it's just, just I, I don't, the, traveling should just be quick and get it done. And he said, what makes you think you're the principal on this? She's the main person. Do you, do you realize that when she's with you spiritually, how pleasant it is? How she covers you in prayer? How you, you don't struggle and you don't have nightmares and you don't go through trials and, and, the, and you have somebody to encourage you? Do you realize that she's the principal here? You're secondary? I, I want to tell you, Rob, it's not about, I want to tell you what your, let me give you your title, Rob. I said, oh, what's my title? You are Michelle's travel assistant. Now, now you laugh, but the reality is the minute that clicked in, I go, wow. Now all of a sudden I have a, a calling. <laughs> so I want to anticipate and, and be ready for those things. And no, and we were in Texas. I told you a story. We were in Texas. And I know that my, we were going to have to work that day. And we got in late, and I knew the next day we'd have to be doing a lot of work. And, and my daughter Molly, her two kids, would have to be watched because Molly was one of the bridesmaids at the wedding. And Michelle would probably be, end up having to watch the kids and everyone else's kids. And, and I, I know that she does really well if she has a cup of tea in the morning. She loves her tea. And it was late, and I took Micah, my son-in-law, because, you know, I'm training him, you know. <laughs> it's discipleship, man. And we go to the H-E-B market, I think that's what they call it, and, and I'm, I, I know that she likes organic sugar, she likes black English tea, she likes vanilla in her tea, almond or soy milk, preferably frothed. <laughs> it, it's, seriously, it's, it's a really cool thing to watch in the morning, how she puts it, it's magical. And H-E-B only has large quantities, so I'm buying a big bag of sugar and a big thing of vanilla and a box of tea and... But, but the point is, when, when I came back with it and I set it up, it, it just moved her deeply. And of course, the next day, if she had had her tea, she was with the kids all day, and she just loved the fact that I had made that arrangement for her. I was her traveling assistant. I wanted to bless her. I'm her helpmate. I want to serve her. 
And, and it did wonders, and, and it just blessed us and blessed me. And, and I got to do what I was doing, and she got to do what she was doing. And the idea is, it's your perspective. You enter into a marriage thinking someone else is going to make you happy. The idea is you enter into a marriage to make them happy. You've given them your life. You go to serve them. And, 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 and in this, as you start to understand each other and what's special, you, you create this intimacy. Because you're wanting to know how to bless that individual, and that's what Paul's saying. Now, granted, Paul puts aside the ability to have intimacy with another human being. He develops relationships because people love him, as you can read the scriptures, and all the people that greet him. And he's beloved throughout all of, of you know, Christendom. But as far as having one person in his life that he's married to and has the privilege to have sexual intimacy, both physical, emotional, and spiritual, that connection God gave us, and I'll cover that, he has forsaken that for the, for the ability just to travel lightly. He's no one's travel assistant because, first of all, he doesn't want a wife being kicked through the streets like a soccer ball. He doesn't want a wife who has to be in prison. He saw Peter's wife being crucified while Peter was being crucified. He didn't want anyone to be subject to that, so he denied himself for the sake of the calling and not wanting to subject another human being to that. And so Paul's saying, I wish men were like me, but God has given us this ability. And he said, um, verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. It's okay, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. I mean, if you have a desire to be with somebody, guess what? You don't have the gift of singleness right? And, and, and what, what did Adam do? God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and the Lord fashioned Eve and brought Eve to Adam. Most of us go looking for a spouse, and we go to the borderline, and, and we, we go online. And a lot of you met online, good job, you'd look for the right things, and it worked out. But in that process, you want to rest in the Lord. Let him confirm these things. People want to get married right away, I say, give it time. Things reveal themselves over time as you start to examine. You're like an undercover agent and you want to watch this person and see him in different situations to realize, you know, what's on the surface isn't under the skin. There's something not right here. That's important. What does the Bible say? Be anxious in, even in marriage, especially in marriage. Oh, you don't understand. They're so fine. They're just so, they're unbelievable. I mean, just they're just chiseled out of granite. I'm, I'm, I imagine they are. That's great. But someday they're going to look like me. You want their character. You want to see their love for the Lord. You want to see them in tough situations. You want to see when the anger comes out. You want to see what those things, those sins that easily beset them. You want to spend time so you know what you're dealing with. It's like buying a car in one sense. You know, so they, they can go and polish it and make it look really good. But you take it for a drive and you look in the engine and you examine, you have your mechanic look. You go, wait a minute, this isn't the... Now, a woman's not a car and a man's not a car. It's an illustration. But the point is, spend time and be patient and wait on the Lord. And he, he says, it's okay to marry. And, and if you have a desire, that's given by God. Verse 10, now to be married, to the married, I command, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And, it, you know, as, as Solomon said, it's better to be on the corner of a rooftop than in a house with a contentious spouse. And then he goes on to say, it's better to be in a wilderness than in a home. I think it's like, <laughs> it's, it's still not far enough away. 
There's times where you're contending and you're fighting. Separate. Work on your relationship with the Lord and come back together. And I'll tell you when the time to come back together is when the person is bearing fruit in accordance with repentance. You have the alcoholic spouse who, who beats their, their spouse and, and then they, they are sober in the morning and they say, I swear to God, I'll never do it again. I love you, I love you, I love you. A little more alcohol and they're back to beating. Bearing fruit in accordance with repentance is that man's not drinking anymore. That, that woman's not drinking anymore. Bearing fruit in accordance with repentance is that you start to see the change of their character the way they're interacting with others, and the way they're serving others. There's a definite move of God's spirit upon their life. And you can be in a wilderness, you can be separated, but come back together when bearing fruit in accordance with repentance. And then he says, um, he also says, but even if she does not depart, let her remain unmarried until she be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife, so it's vice versa. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. So if you have, a, well, I, got, I, I came to the Lord and they don't believe in anything I believe in and then we're just spiritually different. Well, if they want to remain with you, you're not allowed to get upset with them. You signed up for this. And you, you, you to, to honor and to love and to cherish, stay with them if they want to stay with you. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. The way you live is going to win somebody. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but they are now holy. The kids are blessed because you stay together. That doesn't mean stay together while the other's beating you or you know, addicted to this. Or I'm not saying that. I'm saying if, if, there's, if it's amiable and working through it and you still are ideologically opposed. I mean, there's couples in the church. Some are, you know, we have folks that are Christian and, and Jewish and they're in the church. And, and, and they're working it out and the kids are doing great. Stay with it. Almost finished. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such a case, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? What he's saying is uh, abandonment of marriage by a non-believing spouse. If they leave, you're, you're under no obligation to remain single. And, 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 and go and find that haughty Christian husband or that haughty Christian wife. But, but why you're married even to an unbeliever, you live in such a way as to serve them and love them. And then I want to read you just two more verses. This is Hebrews chapter 13. I love this. We don't know who the author is. We assume it's Paul. He says, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. And then he says this, marriage is honorable among all. Uh, That's my granddaughter. So don't get upset. (laughs) She just loves hearing my voice. (laughs) Marriage is honorable among all. Let me repeat that. Marriage is honorable among all. And the bed, the marriage bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 19, 14. Houses and riches are an inheritance from the fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. 
And then if you wanted to, Jesus is referring to Deuteronomy 24, when a man takes a wife, marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because she has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house. Uh, this is what they're referring to. And the two schools of thought are saying, well, I, I, uncleanness, what does that mean? And so they come up with anything they want to define it. And, and I'm, I will say this to our generation and to our culture here in America. Um, we have found a number of really good reasons to divorce. We really don't. We, I mean, we've taken it to a whole new level. We have now called it no-fault divorce. We have taken, I mean, Hillel doesn't have anything on us. The one who signed no-fault divorce in 1969 came into law on January 1st of 1970. It was Ronald Reagan. It was the only state to have no-fault divorce. Now all 50 states have it. So we have, we have just, divorce has taken precedent over marriage. And I, I share all that with you. And then for those of you who are saying, well, you know, it's adultery if you divorce and remarry. Let's not forget John chapter four. Jesus goes all the way and meets this woman in Samaria. Must needs go to Samaria. He went there just to meet that woman. And as he's talking to her about the Lord and about the living water, as she says, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. So they're having us talk about living water and this relationship with God and, 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 and the Messiah. And she's interested. And he, and, and he says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. This is kind of interesting because Jesus says to her, you have well said, I have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. And there she, she's totally moved and, and she goes in and tells everyone that he's the Messiah and her whole life has been changed by that moment. But what's fascinating to me is Jesus called all five of those men husband. He, he didn't call them, well, you, you, you had one husband and now you've had four adulterous relationships. He recognizes that man and woman want relationships of intimacy. I mean, a lot of folks, I mean, we look at Hollywood, Elizabeth Taylor Hugh Hefner, they, they wanted to marry. Why? Ingrained in each of us, especially in Genesis, let us make man in our own image. We're created for relationship. And this idea of marriage, that a man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife, God made the man and woman for this reason. What reason? That they would come together for this reason. A man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Now, sex is an expression of intimacy, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it is a gift in marriage. And the reason why it's so interesting and why it's intended for marriage is because when God made man, and then he made the woman, and as the Hebrews say, it didn't take a bone out of his head, because he couldn't afford it. They, couldn't take, they didn't take a bone out of his head. Actually, probably could. It was all bone. But, um, so, that, so that she would rule over him or from his foot that he would rule over her, 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 but from the side that they would walk together in unity. And as he creates this woman out of this man, part of the DNA is split, and there's a difference. And in this, what happens is these two people now come together and they come to understand each other. 
And as they understand each other, they become one yet again. I was taken out of you, now I'm back with you. And this intimacy of the sexual relationship is, is this coming together of what occurred when man and woman were made. This, this is a picture of what God did. And, and for that to happen, there has to be this connection. Now, because the sexual drive is so intense and it sells products, one of the reasons why pornography takes on demeaning aspects and, and, and brutality is because you have two people engaged in what is supposed to be an act of intimacy and neither of them know each other. And so they're just objects to abuse. And they're both angry and empty and lonely. And you go through life thinking, well, this is the coolest thing, but you get to the end of your life and you realize, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing too well. I'm 27 years into marriage, and every year the intimacy becomes more precious because we've been through so many things together. There are things now, in 27 years, I'm learning about my wife I still never knew. And, it, and it's, it's fascinating to me. We've had hard times. Marriage is hard work. But through the course of life, and then we have the expression and this joy of children, and now grandchildren, and we watch as they're marrying, and we're watching them work through these processes, and we're watching as a community is built, and the table is full with family and joy and conversation and honesty and truthfulness and, and wisdom, and, and, and it's, it's profound. We love to be together. Now, there's something to be said, I don't want anyone in my life, I just want to be left alone. Somebody you don't know will be feeding you pudding. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) But know this, a man will leave his mother and father and be cleaved to his wife. This is what's fascinating. You leave your mother and father, you have a DNA connection, 23 and me. You have a DNA connection to your mother and father. And God is saying that DNA connection takes backseat to a husband and a wife. This is now more profound than the DNA that runs in your system because I have made you one. And, and the reason why I've taken time to explain all this is because when they come to Jesus in the middle of miracles to contend about divorce, Jesus just bypasses divorce. And you know what? I kind of want to do the same thing. The Bible says God hates divorce. And anyone who's been through divorce can agree, I hate divorce. Some of you, it was, it, I'm glad it happened, but it was hard as, hard as hell. And, and any kids whose parents have been through it can say the same. Yes? And there's many reasons. Many reasons. And Jesus knows that they're, they're, they're going to list a thousand reasons why. And he just bypasses it and he says, I don't want to talk about divorce. I want to talk about marriage. And he goes right into verse four and says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man, let, let not man separate. They still came back to the divorce issue. And he said, it was because of the hardness of your heart. And he says that, that, you know, there's sexual immorality that breaks the heart of a human being and, and marriage can't be resolved and that sometimes that just doesn't work. 
But he says, he, he emphasizes this idea of marriage. And he points out, and by the way, the only estate that survived the fall of man in the Garden of Eden was marriage. And when God was doing creation, he said, I made this and it's good, and I made this and it's good, and I made this and it's good. And then he said, one thing isn't good. That man is alone. He wants us to have relationship. The Godhead is a relationship. It's not good that we're alone. It's not good that we're alone. That's what destroys society. The unwillingness to talk to your neighbor, to engage in the life of someone else, to understand, to listen, to hear their heart. And in marriage, I have to tell you something. You know, when, when, when you see this picture, and I showed it to you before, where it says two men are having a baby. Remember that? It was on MSNBC and CNN, and they were celebrating it. It was all over People Magazine. Two men are having a baby. And, and, and I described to you what it was. It was a biological female who was taking male hormones and had had surgery, mastectomy and the like, who was pregnant from a biological male who professed to be a homosexual, who had had sexual relations with the biological female. And the only reason why they were able to conceive is because the biological female had stopped taking male hormones. My point is this. I get it that we're all warped. We've been through the sexual revolution. We're the generation of the Hugh Hefner. And now we're watching with Harvey Weinstein and we're watching with all the things and we've all been affected by it. And every family trying to identify and we've got sexual dysfunction and it runs rampant. And I get that everybody has a bend. But I must declare to you, a man will never, ever, 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 ever become a woman. And a woman will never, ever, 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 become a man. Now, up here, we're hurting. And Jesus brings it back and he says, I want to talk about why. A man and a man coming together, they're lonely. A woman and a woman coming together, they're lonely. They can relate to each other. God made marriage to resolve the aloneness of man. It's not what God intended. There's no procreation. Well, you can do it, you know, through uh, in vitro fertilization and test tube. You can do it in a, and get the, you know, take the DNA and we figured out science. The reality is God designed it this way because when he made a woman... Out of a man, the sexual union reflects what God did. Do you get that? This is a reflection of God's handiwork. This is what he wants us to understand, that this is intimacy. Now, we, we run for intimacy in a myriad of different ways, and we find ourselves oftentimes empty. But we work through life together. And what's fascinating is even if you have a homosexual relationship, two men, a lesbian relationship, two women, there's always going to be a butch and a femme. They're still trying to do the structure in Ephesians 5 and 6 where there's a head of the family and they're still trying to. And if, and, and, and if I take out and pretend that this is a $100 bill, it's a $1 bill, it's, the $100 bill is the most counterfeited currency in the world because it stands behind the strength of the United States of America. 
It's the most counterfeited bill in the world. And the reason why a counterfeit bill has value is because it tries to look, the more it looks like the original, the more value it possesses. But the more value it possesses by mimicking the original, the, more, the less value the original has. It destroys the, the, the economy of the nation. Counterfeit does. Do you get that? So God made marriage, not man. And this is what he said it is. And to validate our lives apart from him, we want it to say that this is what God wanted, and it isn't. It's two people wanting intimacy, but it's not what he said. And it's not for the purpose of what he said. And they can enjoy certain aspects of life, and they can go through life together, and they can share bank accounts, but it's not what God said. And what it does is it destroys the original. So Jesus bypasses the divorce thing. He knows that we're all, we're all bent. He knows we all struggle. And he goes and he says, do you want to be in a relationship that brings happiness? Then why don't you revisit what I created in the beginning? I want you to be in relationship. I want you to have intimacy. I want you to understand what I've done here. Now, I will say this. In a homosexual relationship, man and a man, for me to understand a man, not a problem. I'm a man. Okay? And everything about a man, I understand. And for a woman to relate to a woman, not hard. They understand everything. They're just, they're they're the same. Heterosexual means another of the same kind, which means... My wife and I are both human beings, but she's another type of human being. She's a woman. She's not like me. And God did that so that the only way we could understand and have intimacy and come together as it was in the Garden of Eden is that we lay our life down. I have to tell you something about my wife, and I'm so glad she left. I don't know what planet she's from. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. She's like Pluto. She uses far too many words that are humanly necessary. And, and, and she'll be telling me, and I go, honey, I got it. And she's still telling me. And she's adding more detail. My, I'm like, I'm full, stop. And she's adding it. Layers. And my, just stretch marks on my head. It's causing my eyes to just roll back, and she wants to go into detail and minutia. It's like, why? None of that is necessary for a decision. I made the decision in the first three words that you spoke, and the rest, I'm like... Now, maybe I'm just me, and no other man has ever felt that way. And Michelle can't grasp how I use so few words. I mean, really. I walk by. Uh, what'd you guys just do? Uh, we commented we both liked each other's haircuts and the outfit we were wearing. Really? Yeah. yeah. And that we're doing great. It's good to see you. And I love you, bro. 
That's amazing. <laughs> and, and there's so many things about her I don't, I don't comprehend. And 27 years into marriage, I'm now starting to comprehend them and realize how precious they are. And she's starting to get me. And she would say the same thing. I don't know what planet he's from. For me to relate to Michelle, I have to die. And for her to relate to me, she has to die to ourselves, not physically. <laughs> Although that's quite a concept. No. You know, we celebrate birthdays. Celebrate a birthday, you have to stay alive. Celebrate an anniversary, you have to stop from killing your... <laughs> but then you throw, chil- you throw children into the mix and you work together as a team to minister to them and then they identify and have that, that imprint of what intimacy is and they start to watch their mother and father and they look, the things are caught, not taught. They watch the way you read the word, how you treat one another, how you minister to one another. And this is how God intended it. And, and Jesus is emphasizing it's, it's about that. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning where it was all of vital importance. You want to talk about divorce. Everybody wants to figure out a way out. And God is saying, I want to bring you back in. I want to bring you into a place where there's intimacy again, honesty, in a community where we as a church start to emphasize that in our lives and in our families and in our relationships with each other. I, 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 do we have the thing ready? I want to show you this. Purpose of marriage. Obviously, Genesis. Companionship. 1 Corinthians 7, we read. Sexual fulfillment. Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply. Reproduction. You can do that outside of marriage, but that's the point. You want children to be raised properly, which brings us to raising godly children, Deuteronomy 11. And to demonstrate Christ's love for the church, Ephesians 5. He is the groom, we're the bride, and he uses marriage as a microcosmic picture of what he did to redeem mankind. That's what's so significant about marriage, that he would bypass these Pharisees nitpicking over every way to obtain divorce. And he said, I'm trying to reconcile you to me and to each other. And he lays all this out, but there's so many destruction, so many causes of destruction of marriage. We can go through them. You have infidelity, you have abuse, you have divorce, the redefinition of marriage, unfair taxation, idolatry. You love your job more than you love your spouse. I, I can, that list can go on and on and on and on and on. And all it does is des- destroy society. I want to read this to you. This is Karl Marx. Abolition of marriage in the family is central to the fundamental transformation necessary to implement a just society. If we can destroy the family and own the kids and make them property of the state, we can obtain a utopia. And God gives the authority governmentally of children to the parents. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, obey your, uh, submit to your husbands unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents. It's the only commandment that comes with a promise. It'll go well with you. You'll live long on the earth. And, and, and the weakest of them have the most protection. And he designs it to the point where even those who are in, in homosexual relationships or lesbian relationships understand that there needs to be a level. It's ingrained in us 
This is the fundamental building block of culture. And if, if marriage can be destroyed, Satan dominates the children. Put them in divorce court. Boy, isn't that a place where we find justice? It bankrupts you and, and kids get to go here or there depending on the whim and the, whatever attorney you got. And I'm not making light. Everyone in this room, trust me, I've, I, yesterday I was at the courthouse. Was it the day before? day before. My heart's broken. I go through this. I, I work with people. If marriage can mean anything, then marriage becomes meaningless. God described it, designed it. Jesus went back to it. He took him off divorce and brought him to marriage, took him off divorce and brought him to marriage. And this, this is the goal of those who want to destroy Christ's work and culture. Encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. Emphasize the need to raise children away from the negative influence of parents. Attribute prejudice, mental blocks, and retarding of children to suppressive influence of parents. If, 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 if marriage and family can be destroyed, whatever you call America and whatever you call good government is gone. And and God wants us to come back to marriage. He wants us to come back to this place. I'm almost finished. This is a letter I received when I talked about my sister in a sermon. And someone listened online. Hello. It was appalling to hear you say Christians should attend homosexual weddings. Did you applaud? Jesus in no way would have such. Neither Paul at all. What you were saying is Jesus would watch people stealing TVs from Walmart and applauding them as they left the store, maybe encouraging them to go back and steal more TVs, hence attend homo marriages when asked. Surely Satan is laughing all the way to hell when Christians behave like this. Every pastor whom has a homo relative deceives the congregation by becoming an advocate for this lifestyle. It is so disappointing. The best place in scripture that defines love is 2 John 6. I just pray you get off the track of pseudo love, the church or pseudo church is overwhelmed with this nonsense. May the Lord Jesus embolden you to speak the truth. Yes, in love and truth, first and foremost, and then all other factors can be considered. I wrote, after some time. <laughs> Thank you for taking, taking the time to write me. I did attend, and, and this was when the name was changed, but not the wedding, my my, the, the wedding happened later, but I did attend and I didn't applaud. And by the way, I actually worked at a Walmart when we were mobbed and robbed. <laughs> I did watch and I remained to clean up the mess and comfort those who were devastated and confused. By the way, my sister has come to Christ. I'm pretty happy about that and I knew you would be too. I have a question. Why is Samson in Hebrews 11 and why is Rahab... I truly am interested to hear your perspective. I struggled over their inclusion, especially Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him after he'd spent an entire night in a bed with a prostitute. It seems that each time the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he had just indulged in yet another sin. Your insights would be greatly appreciated. Again, thank you for reaching out to me with your concerns and insights. Blessings, Rob. This time he said, hello, Rob. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your response. First, I am the chief of sinners and king of crime, or at least I was until I had been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Secondly, I am ecstatic that your sister has repented. 
Attending homosexual marriages, I don't think the matter that you attended her pseudo-wedding led to her salvation. Wow. I wonder if he had a conversation with her or me. After I was saved, anyone that claimed to be of Christ that didn't share with me, if I had known that they were, I would have questioned why they didn't continue to share the gospel or share the gospel in Scripture condemning my actions. There's no condemnation in Christ, not outside. Rahab was protecting godly people. She was lying. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lied. I don't think you were protecting godly people by attending this event. Samson, R.E. Samson's many people have been used after major sins. David probably the most notable, angst, many others. Um, and and he, there's just there's there's frustration and anger, and I, I don't want to bore you with all of it. You rise and fall before one master. That's the Lord. If you struggle with me doing the best I can to try to reach my sister. And if you think I'm wrong, I, I welcome and will respond to your letters. But I, I've, I've truly sought the Lord on this. I know ingrained in every human heart is a desire for intimacy. She's warped. Interestingly enough, so am I. And we're all trying to figure it out. And my goal is to turn people to Christ. And I'll step into the thick of it, in the middle of it, and I will love them, and I will proclaim the truth. And I will declare what marriage is and what marriage isn't. But it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. I'll close with this. You know who that is? Other than a guy with an interesting mustache. That's William Bradford, first governor of the Plymouth Colony, Puritan, came over on the Mayflower. He wrote this. It's called the Mayflower Compact. In the name of God, amen, we whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign, the Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, Ireland, King, defender of the faith, etc., having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another, covenant, which is what marriage is, and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic, first time a government was established here, for our better ordering and preservation furtherance of the ends aforesaid and by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinance, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet, the convenient for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. They were committed to each other. This is one of the most amazing articles in American history. And as you recall, the part I highlighted, the purpose of it was having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Why? Well, this is a couple. Aren't they sweet looking? They were married over 50 years. They're direct descendants of, um, of, of, of Bradford. Direct descendants of Bradford. Uh, the woman's name is Grace Caroline her maiden name was Swanson. The other guy's name is Glenn. And uh, he was an accountant from Nebraska. They had two children, two boys. They're from Swedish descent. Um, they, they were direct descendants of Governor William Bradford, very conservative Methodist. They had two boys. Uh, one of their boys went into the military 
on the left there, and that's his wife. And when he was in the military, he saved himself from marriage. He didn't have sexual relations, and she committed adultery on him. Uh, and, and it really bothered him. And they were married for 10 years, had two children, and he divorced her and started a publication and became Hugh Hefner, who's a direct descendant of William Bradford. He died at 91, iconic in America, sexual revolution. We're all about ourselves and our self-gratification, not serving one another, not forgiving one another, not honoring marriage. 144 years of marriage and divorce in the United States. The reason why the, the marriage rate is low early on is because most folks didn't seek civil licenses. They just wrote marriage in their Bibles and didn't tell the local governments. But you notice when World War II ended, uh, marriage rate dropped and the Great Depression had dropped. But right after World War II, everybody got busy. They all got married. And that's actually 1949 is when Hugh Hefner got married. And then he started Playboy. And you see the spike in divorce. And then it drops a little bit. But look how marriage drops. Nobody wants to get married anymore. Everyone's about themselves. And, and though divorce increases and starts to drop, the part that's frightening to me is here we are, 2010, and going into 2017, the numbers, it is a precipitous decline in marriage because when you try to counterfeit the original, the original loses its value. Jesus doesn't want to talk about divorce. He wants us to fall in love with marriage. And as Christians, we start to honor it, understand it, apply it, live it, stand for it, fight for it. Now, we decry this man, but every one of you has watched his movies. And, 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 and Hefner's an icon, and Hollywood is responding to what we pay for. And as we knock down the walls and we destroy these things, it rises and destruction begins to occur, and you just don't make sense of it anymore. And, and here you have a man who has been doing this for years. We, we've, 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 we've turned women into objects. And we've called it an industry. We've got the casting couch. And we're shocked? Who's going to set the culture? Harvard gave him a medal. Folks, let marriage be held in honor as we read in Hebrews. I have to tell you, and I'll leave you with this. What's been so exciting for me as a pastor of this church is how many young people have been married in this church. It has been so cool because they've been watching all of you and they love the word, and they love each other, and they get it. And everyone else is a, walking away from marriage. These young folks are running to it, and they're committed to it. The millennial generation is struggling with the one coming up behind them. I'm excited 
this is a good time to be alive because everything is out. The house of cards is collapsing. Harvey's in trouble. He's been protected for years. He's in trouble, and Hollywood's going to struggle. Nobody's buying movie tickets anymore. And, And everybody is wondering what's going on. This is a great time to have answers because everybody's got questions. Amen. (laughs) So let's be prepared to tell them about the joy of marriage. May God bless you and strengthen you to do exactly that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, and I've, I've gone long, and I was going to have them close with a song, and we're going to have a little bit of prayer, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to close in prayer, and then I want you guys to just head on out. If you're married, engaged, dating, I want you to go and talk about what God wants for you. I want you to work through this. If you need counseling, get it. This is a family. If you need help, look, if your car's struggling, bring it in for tune-up. Bring your marriage in. Sign up for these events. We're going we're gonna to be doing these marriage events th- it, continually. We are committed to marriage in this congregation. We're here to help you, bless you, encourage you. Whatever you need to the best of our ability, we'll give it to you. But let's fight for marriage. Let's emphasize it. And if you're not married, don't despise. If you have a desire to be married, rest in the Lord. He'll take care of it. I mean, come on. I landed Michelle. God does miracles. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for marriage. Thank you for this gift that you've given to mankind. That once again, in the course of our life, we can have this understanding of this intimacy that exists in the Godhead where it's relational. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit where there's honesty and truth and clarity and wisdom. And you create families with a mother and a father that are so connected emotionally, spiritually, physically, that the children witness this truth is, is honored. Families are strengthened. Societies are blessed. And Lord, we know that the enemy doesn't want it and doesn't like it because marriage is a microcosmic picture of Christ's love for the church. And it's under attack, but not here. We as a fellowship commit to you, O oh God, that we love marriage and we're grateful for it. And by your grace and by your, your blessing and your provision, you will give us the provision to be able to strengthen these marriages and encourage And Lord, if there is infidelity and adultery or fornication or sins that easily beset or struggles, Lord, we thank you that that, you cast that sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more, forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead. I pray that you would allow honesty, and when that honesty is expressed, there would be mercy and grace, because if you want mercy, you've got to give it. I pray there'd be healing. And I pray, God, that you would be glorified in and through our lives and that this culture would once again realize the great blessing that's been given to us by our creator of this gift of marriage. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week in the Lord.